live from Four Seasons Total Landscaping. It's the conclusion of the Potty Awards. And the potty goes to... Paper, paper, paper. Awards Radar! Accepting the award for Awards Radar via Zoom is Miles Hughes. Oh my gosh. Okay, so on behalf of everyone at the Awards Radar podcast, I'm so can, excited. Can we can we hear can we hear Miles? I don't I don't think we can hear Miles. I see his Hello? lips moving, but no one's uh no one's talking. Now he's what? he's he's can, looking can, behind can, him. That's weird. Can, can you guys hear me? Hello? Wait, wait. I think we might I think we might have him. No. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Hey, I'm I'm here. Yeah. All right. Nope. I think I think we have him. I think we have okay. him. Go ahead. Go ahead, Miles. Okay, well, on behalf of everyone at the Awards Radar, I just want to say thank you so much for this. All right, you're getting the wrap it up. Uh, you're getting the wrap it up signal now, so just. Uh, oh my gosh! Okay, y'all do me dirty. All right. Uh, well, listen. Uh, you can listen to the Awards Radar podcast on iTunes, aka Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Tune in. Thanks for the win! Yay! Somebody wake up, Al Pacino. His his video's still on, even though we've we've cut away. He's he's not wearing any pants. How embarrassing! Good thing they'll never know I wasn't wearing any pants. All right, now we're into the podcast. So, hey everyone, and welcome to the Awards Radar podcast. As always, I am Joey, and I am joined once again by Miles. Hi, I'm back after uh, two weeks of being on set of Sugar on Spicy. More on that later. And Steve. Hi. I rarely leave. Mm. And uh, you may well hear our introductions again later because this was planned to be part two of the podcast. We recorded part one prior to the Golden Globes, and this is now post-Golden Globes. But uh, go figure, maybe you want to hear the Golden Globes chat first. So through the magic of uh, Steve not sleeping, you'll you'll hear it in that order. So in any event, we... Uh, are going to dive right in and talk about the Golden Globes, you know, a.k.a. the place where Daniel Kaluuya almost didn't get to give a speech, and that would have been a totally good look for the all-white Hollywood Foreign Press Association. Yikes. Yeah, that uh, that very nearly happened. Um, but here, I'm going to uh, read off the awards. We're going to talk about them a little bit, and uh, then you'll get into our uh, episode proper. But we're going to go quickly through the TV categories just because... You know me. Don't really uh, pay as much attention to them. But we had Best Performance by an Actor in a Television Supporting Role. Go to John Baega for Small Acts, which, depending on who you ask, is a movie. Um, Actress in a Television Series, Musical or Comedy. Catherine O'Hara for Schitt's Creek. Uh, Actor in a Limited Series, Anthology, TV movie type thing. Mark Ruffalo. I know this much is true. I have seen some of that. He's quite good there. Uh, performance by an actress in a television series drama, Emma Corrin, The Crown. I hear that show is uh, watched by a person or two. Uh, actor in a television series musical or comedy, Jason Sudeikis and his hoodie for Ted Lasso. What a hoodie, though. Yeah. I mean, I love the tweet that said, uh, nobody has looked more divorced than Jason <laughs> Sudeikis. Uh, I thought that was great. Uh, best television series musical or comedy went to Shit's Creek of pop tv a channel that i have now learned existed best performance by an actor in a television series drama josh o'connor the crown um by the looks of it he just found out he was in the crown let alone nominated let alone won. he was very excited 
uh, television series drama was The Crown. Actress in a television supporting role was Julian Anderson, The Crown. Uh, actress in a motion, uh, actress, best performance by an actress. And this is uh, not right, but did Anatella Joy win for The Queen's Gambit? Yeah, yes. for actress, okay. limited series, anthology, yes. or... It was, it was listed here as a musical or comedy. I was like, well, that would have been preferable to what we got, but more on what that. What site are you on? Uh, awards Radar. Oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> we'll oh, fix no. it later. Um, tell, it copied from, I believe, Deadline, so we can blame them. Uh, television limited series went to The Queen's Gambit. And that was our TV, right? Yes. So um, you can tell how much I care about TV by how quick we went through that. But uh, Steve and Miles, feel free to chime in a bit there. Miles, do you have much to say? Because I can just go through a, a quick list of... Um, yeah, Queen's Gambit, The Crown, Shit's Creek are all the expected ones. The only one mm-hmm. that I thought was a pleasant surprise was uh, Jason Sudeikis for Ted Lasso. I think that show's super underrated and everyone should get on it if they haven't already. All right. I agree with most of that, if not all of that. Shit's Creek uh, deserved it after the six years. Sudeikis, pleasant surprise, although if Eugene Levy would have won, definitely wouldn't have been disappointed. Uh, Queen's Gambit. All the awards you can throw at it, fantastic. I'm glad I got the two it was up for, and anything else would have been disappointing. Boyega was a surprise, especially since Levy is the heart of the show, and, and people love Shit's Creek. But I guess you can win for a movie in a TV slot. And The Crown, I guess, was all expected. And the only one that wasn't expected was the one that we did not predict at AR, at Award Radar, because that's what I have to say. Hmm. I'm I'm debating whether I want to make a hacky joke every time you make you uh, reference Shit's Creek. If I should reference the uh, 2004 comedy without a paddle, I you know what? Fuck you! It's funny. So oh, that was a ju- that was the joke. Oh oh, was that a, that was that a humor that he did? Oh wait, in that case, hold on one second. <laughs> you both know I'm your boss, right? <laughs> You want to try this again? Who was that? Get out of here. Get away <laughs> yeah. from my mic. Um, yes. So, listen, funnier than without a paddle, though. Yes. yes so at least there's so. that. Um, small recovery there. All right. On to the uh, film categories. Started off the night with uh, supporting actor going to Daniel Kaluuya for Judas and the Black Messiah. I was one for one. The uh, internet was 0 for 1. Not the internet as in Twitter, even though they were awful for different reasons. Um, the internet didn't want to let Daniel Kaluuya speak. <laughs> so that was uh, not great. But this is probably the first of many awards that will lead him to winning an Academy Award. Because what's different, you know? Um, Critics' Choice almost certainly will go him. SAG feels like a solid bet. BAFTA feels like a very good bet, and that's that means you go in with everything, you, you don't lose. Yeah, I mean, he's got some decent competition as far as the quality of the performances, not counting Jared Leto for obvious reasons. But um, I, I, it's hard for me to imagine at this point who could stand in his way in terms of taking it all the way to the Oscars. Oh, yeah, if he if he if he won the popularity contest against his more popular opponents. He's unlikely to lose when it comes more to just performance. Right. You know, so that's that's I I, I mean, I, I think we're just sort of not it's not even a default because it's a very good performance, but sort of defaulting into the baitiest of the five. 
Well, it's fine. It's a J.K. Simmons and Whiplash situation where he's the front runner all the way through, but nobody has a problem with that. Yeah, I mean, this is a little later breaking, at least. So sure, that was that was more unique because literally day one or two of Sundance, that film premieres. Everyone goes, well, I think J.K. Simmons is winning an Oscar. Nothing changes the entire year. And barring the few people who were, you know, well, I prefer Ethan Hawke in Boyhood from day three of Sundance, you know. It, it was that's what it was you you had that basically one two punch the entirety of the season right uh best animated film with the soul so again disappointing soul i mean did you really think the pixar film was going to lose to wolf walkers at the popularity contest well it was international so i was, I was hoping for like a surprise but i, I mean, did not expect it i'm assuming they i mean wolf walkers is a whiter film we don't have to get into all that. <laughs> well, the, the show, the show sure did. <laughs> they well, uh, they really hung a lampshade on it, didn't they? Yeah, uh, yeah. I I don't think. Uh, I mean, Critics' Choice could go Wolf Walkers. The Annies could certainly go Wolf Walkers, but you know, bet against Soul at your own peril at the moment. I think Soul's an okay film. I just think Wolf Walkers. If you know what goes into making the film Wolf Walkers, you mm. you watch it. And then the second time you watch it, you take in what's actually going on on screen. And I can't see it being anything other than the, the winner in the category. Soul is great. I think it's a little easier to consume. But for as for Pixar, it's, it's less of a, a crowd pleaser. The, the folks at Pixar are loving you saying, uh, so wait, there's no work that goes into our films at our, at our <laughs> campus? Uh, there is work that goes into it. But... We, have, we have two guys drawing very quickly. It's okay. No, I'm... I'm I'm right there with you. I like Wolf Walkers better, um, but Soul seems to be just racking up all the places it needs to so far. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, I I like Onward better than Soul, so I'm I'm in a whole other category. But you know, I don't have a problem with Soul winning. I think in a world where 3D is so normal, it's a common you know um, medium that seeing hand drawn and hearing not just that it's hand drawn. You're hand drawn. I am. And most mm-hmm. people try to pull out the eraser. Uh, it's how it's put together and why. There's meaning in the lines. And there's much more to it. Look for my article on Awards Radar. <laughs> what a long con just to promote his article. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, best screenplay. I get paid per click. Hmm. Best screenplay went to Aaron Sorkin, Trial of Chicago 7. They they love Sorkin. Also, you know, great screenplay. Yep, no surprise this, there. Yeah, I mean, I, I had, um, I had uh, Emerald Fennel for a little bit there, but... As we got closer, you know, realized when it comes to the Globes, you you air conservative. And if they surprise, let them be surprising. Don't try to predict them being, you know, cool or right. or edgy. So still a great win. If he wins on Oscar night, there's no issue. But I still think uh, I would look to WGA there yeah, to see how they feel. If they default to Torkin, who, listen, if you're a writer, he is uh, something close to a deity. Then you you can you can sort of feel like there that's shaping up. But if uh, if Fennel wins there, or if we get someone else who picks up a win, you you start to see where the uh, the competition is. But for now, they're they're a quick one two, and the rest are well behind. Uh, original song went to Diane Warren and Life Ahead, which we kind of feel like we're defaulting towards. Fine for Diane Warren. Song itself is not anything to write home about but that was 95 percent of the songs this year frankly 
Yeah, I, I would be hard pressed to say there's a front runner based on quality. Yeah, no, the 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 quality is again the ones that don't even make the cut. But yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's a separate issue. Uh, score. Well, we knew it was going the Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. <laughs> it was whether or not they were going to have a partner, and it turns out they did. Soul won there. John Batiste also got the award, and. Uh, Again, maybe maybe this is where you start to figure out who's winning the Oscar. Again, also, remember, I put no stock in the Globes, but you look at them as potentially the first domino and how things progress. You know, taken on their own, they mean nothing, especially when we get a little later in the show. But combined with other things, then they mean something. Right. No one award means a lot. Even, even SAG, even PGA. So keep that in mind but yeah i mean the majority of people are probably on soul or or mank winning original score so soul has a has a point on the board anyone have a thought there nope i i agree with what you said i think between their two scores this year soul is the more memorable one and kind of feels like them really trying something interesting so yeah i'm happy with that fair enough um I lean Mank. I I mean, I go back and forth. They're both different from what they normally do. I think Soul is more, um, probably can listen to it on its own a little bit more. But still both, you know, sterling work. And uh, very potentially uh, listen to Awards Radar for an interview with uh, Reznor and Ross. We're, We're in conversations. In that case, I like them both. Yeah, remember that. Great work um, across the board. They've never done anything bad. I wish I could say the same for the next category. Oh my god! Best performance by an actress in a motion picture, musical, or comedy. Rosamund Pike. I care a lot. I I I am a Rosamund Pike fan. I care a lot was the worst film nominated for a Golden Globe, and I know what I just said. I don't think anyone that I was aware of uh, had her peg to win. Like it was kind of a weird addition. It was kind of the Jared Leto of the category. And this is a category that already has Kate Hudson for music. So Mm -hmm. the idea that she then won it, I think has more to do with them liking her as an actress than the film itself. And, and maybe even if I'm, you know, objective, which I can be, uh, it did drop on Netflix as they were voting. So when you have a small enough sample size and, and think about it, there's, whether 90 people, 89 people or something like that. Mm-hmm. How it's many more, people more do you... fresh in mind kind of? Well, think about it. What's uh, whoever's the best at math of the three of us? How many votes does it take to win out of 90? 100. That's Wait. that's if you're that's if you're uh, Dominion according to Trump. But listen, okay, well half <laughs> of 45 is half of 90, all right? So if you're splitting into 5, you probably don't even need that many, right? So let's say yeah. 40 votes get you the win if a dozen people just happen to be fucking around on netflix and come across your movie and like it that's that's almost that's like a quarter of what you need it's more than a quarter of what you need to win so when you have a small sample size things like that can tip a scale or maybe they just love love that movie that they didn't nominate anywhere else but when you look in the category and you say it's not a it's not the the tough you know the toughest category there's not across the board great competition you know, there's movies that people like, there's performances people like, but where she wins out is it's the most, it's the showiest performance. It's true acting. 
and she's a name that's been tossed around before in the category. Sure. And it, and it's fresh and new. It's it's you know recency bias. Sure, sure. I mean, Pekalova, it's comedy, of course. So it's true comedy, which is going to automatically, and it kind of seems like improv. So how much of that is scripted and how much of that is not, I, I, that well, could also factor in. Yeah, all, all, all accurate factors, though I will um, somewhat negate you by saying they didn't feel that way about Sasha Baron Cohen or the film itself mm-hmm. by giving them both wins. So it's True, just but strange Sasha that- Baron Cohen is more of a name even in the world of improv. Though widely, I think I would go 90% of the people you would poll in the universe. You know, what's your, what's the best part of Borat 2? It's going to be her. Sure. No, I so, don't disagree so, with that. So the most beloved part of the film is the only thing that lost. It's very Golden Globes of them. But Pike carries that film. And like it or not, people seem to like it, which is surprising. I enjoyed it, but it was definitely toward the two, two and a half range rather than the the three and above. But she carries that film. She's in it you know, 90% of the time, and she does give a good performance, even if you don't care for it. All right. Uh, foreign language film went to Minari. I got that one right as well. I thought it was massively puzzling that the majority of my colleagues slash fellow pundits were not predicting it. Like, they all collectively forgot that the stupid rules only have it eligible there. So it wasn't a matter of they didn't like the film. It was just where it was categorized. So this this wild assumption that like another round or, or La Llorona was going to win made zero sense to me. So I, I was pleased to be proven right. I was pleased to see you right. It's a great film. Yeah. I mean, listen, I'm I'm I think it's it's good. I just everything about the year suggests that only me. <laughs> that's a group. The group of one of people who don't love it. So. Why would you assume the the Hollywood Foreign Press didn't also love it? They have a stupid rule they utilized to ghettoize it, but that doesn't mean they don't love it. So I, I don't know why everyone assumed it was going to lose. That would be like saying Parasite should lose last year. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. Did so, you see it, Miles? I haven't seen it yet, no. There's Parasite? A- you should. It's pretty good. No, I've seen pa- I own Parasite. It's I popular. Not, I, had, I had not gotten around to Minari yet. You heard it here first. Miles has parasites. <laughs> I have a parasite. I need to get the criterion parasite. So then you'll have parasites. Yeah, then I'll have the better parasites. I'll have the more mm. expensive and esteemed parasites in my body. Mm. See, I've got I've got uh, antibodies. You've got parasites. Same thing. Uh, speaking of, no, I'm kidding. It has nothing to do with that. But Best Supporting Actress was the next uh, shocker to go down. Jodie Foster, the Mauritanian. Uh, as uh, some people joked on our Slack, apparently uh, me interviewing them boosts your chances of winning a Golden Globe. Because this might have been the most surprising win of the night. Yeah, when I think it it definitely shores up the possibility that uh, she could actually be a contender when just a month or two ago it was a question whether she'd even be nominated. Yeah, I mean, I'm... I will uh, I will be updating my predictions for Friday. By the time this goes up, they'll already be up on the site. And uh, I would say there's a better than average chance she'll be in my five. Because uh, I am seriously considering dropping Bakalova out of the five. Wow. There's always that miss that Jennifer Lopez, you know, insert your person who, oh, they're probably winning. Oh, wait, I get more. Well, they're probably getting nominated. 
that night before you start to go, they might well miss and then they miss. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I think she might be the one, um, especially with the Academy who may not be as keen on, on Borat. That's the thing. I, I think all. this loss kind of puts that doubt into people's minds. Like, Oh, she didn't win. If she won, I think she's in the five for sure. But now you kind of have that. Hmm. Is she that good? Well, now you know what it is, is now she's on equal level with the yeah. people they have to make their decisions about. So if we go in assuming Glenn Close is going to get nominated, right? On right. reputation alone, if not a potential default winner, there's one. And if you go in assuming Coleman, yeah, that's where the, well, I mean, yeah, you go in assuming Olivia Coleman will get in and not win. There's two. And then for the final three, they're all kind of on equal footing now is the, what makes it interesting. So you can make pretty much an equal case for Jodie Foster has her Golden Globe win. Maria Bakalova has the uh, precursors galore. Helena Zengel has gotten in everywhere she needs to. The Manai grandma gotten in everywhere she needs to, where she except for Golden Globes. Um, oh, and then Amanda Seyfried, who biggest you know star of the bunch and was odds on you know a month ago the favorite to win to a lot of people. They all kind of create the same case. And that doesn't even include, uh, you know, an Ellen Burstyn who really got in nowhere, but was also assumed as a nominee. If Foster's in your five, where does Seyfried live? Um, I think they're, that's where I got to decide. Because she was my six. And I was planning, until Foster got announced, to just swap out Seyfried and Bakalova. But mm-hmm. now, I have to decide how married I am to Helena angle. And that's figurative because she's a teenager. But, you know, she hasn't missed anywhere. So do you... That's where you then put up Amanda Seyfried, who's missed some places, but is a very traditional Best Supporting Actress nominee, versus a child actress who hasn't missed anywhere. My feeling is with with Zengel is that News of the World just isn't getting the buzz that you would hope at this time of the year. At At least not yet. Yeah, but it is as up an Oscar alley as can be mm-hmm. and is presumably going to be a PGA nominee. So I, I'm low. It also, um, by the by, has hit almost all of the tech precursors. So it is, it is well-liked by a, by a vast crowd. It's just whether that coalesces in the right way so I, I i don't know because obviously the the acting branch is not the sound branch but i yeah you would normally dismiss her easily as the least likely but i don't i honestly just don't know and i don't know that i'm going to get any any clarity before the you know the time comes so here to uh just uh, backtrack for a second the calendar all right, let's take a look at where we're at and what's happening. We have the Oscar voting starting on Friday. All right, you'll be hearing this on Thursday. Friday starts the voting. It goes until the 10th. So it goes until Wednesday. All right, now during that time, you're going to have the Critics' Choice Awards happen. You're going to have the PGA nominations happen. You're going to have BAFTA happen. You're going to have DGA happen. 
So the longer you hold on to your ballot, the more information you get. So honestly, and I hate to say this, but March 9th is when you finalize your Oscar predictions. You really can't before that. So still to be determined. Put it that way. A lot can still happen between now and then. And well, Mm -hmm. one thing that we know is going to happen. Chadwick Boseman is going to get nominated for Best Actor. He wins Best Actor in Drama here. It's sure, you know, anecdotally, that response was was dwarfed the other nominees in the category. I, you know, unless SAG goes in a different direction, I, I don't know how this doesn't just go to him. Yeah, that's where I'm at exactly. Yeah, It's hard not no, to see it going that way. Yeah, so maybe that allows a, a surprise nominee. Because, you know, some people will, will not vote for him for the nomination because he's a lock. That, of course, leads to the possibility he then misses in your surprise snub. But oh, more than likely, that's not going to happen. If that but happens, yeah, that's, there'll be an uproar like never before. Well, that's the thing. That is, that's where every time people think, don't worry about it, they're safe, Ben Affleck, Bradley Cooper, they then miss. So um, it's a very... Uh, it's a it's it's a you need a, a soft touch to pull that off and this, these are not the groups that have it explain the ballot to me so when you're voting for nominees how many votes do you get per category and say, just saying this category i believe you get five five okay i think he's gonna have to make it with that if you're getting one maybe you're gonna vote for your favorite but if you're voting in five how do you, how do you with a good conscience not put him in you know i yeah, I, I, mean, I love the performance i love the film so I'm not saying just because of, you know, it's an unfortunate passing, but the performance alone, it's you know, really incredible well, work. So, Well, and I can even say, because I'm not a huge fan of the film itself, but I do think the performance taken on its own merits and even taking aside the element of his passing, I think it's such a strong and sort of diverse performance on its own merits that it would get mm-hmm. in there regardless of the extra circumstance. For sure. So... Nothing changes there. This is sort of his the uh, beginning of the coronation, I think. Likewise, Best Director, Chloe Zhao, Nomadland. I, unless DGA pulls a quirk, I, I'm pretty sure we have our, our director winner. Independent of what happens with what, what picture. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. Yeah, I mean, BAFTA may do something a little different. I don't think Critics' Choice will even though Mank did really well. So it's really whether or not DGA throws the, throws your curveball. Picture comedy, Borat, not a whole lot to say there. You know, the only question was if they, they were in a Hamilton mood, but I think when you have at least a couple voters who are going to go, it's not a movie, you, you don't win. That's where I fell in the in sort of the last week or two. So I know I'm seen as a yeah. hater, but I'm still surprised that people have, pretty much counted out Palm Springs. I thought I actually picked it on my official pick. I was like, it's going to come through uh, because there's so much love for it. But people just, too, like, oh, no, it's too, not going to win. Too cool for the Globes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Sasha Baron Cohen wins actor in a comedy. That was, the, there. that was, that was the, that was probably the biggest slam dunk of the night going in. Mm-hmm. I believe the first or one of the first to win two globes for the same performance, the same role. It's not often that that happens. Um, but we follow up 
the the least surprising win with the most surprising win. Actress in a drama, Andra Day, United States versus Billie Holiday. Taking away the fact I don't care for the movie, she's very good in it. And as I've said several times, which is also what makes me a little annoyed with um, some of the, the discourse, which I'll get into in a minute. If the movie was better, she would probably be winning things. So this is her finally winning something. Great. This is not a group that predicts your Oscar winners. Keep in mind, she's also not nominated at SAG. You can justify all the reasons you want that she's not there. It's screened late. It did this. It also screened before Judas and the Black Messiah. And Daniel Kaluuya is at SAG. It's funny. I heard a lot of pundits walking, tiptoeing around the fact that they didn't like the film, that they didn't pick her, and that she won by saying, oh, she was great throughout. But kind of the similar argument is the Rosamund Pike. I just think people were surprised by this and cast her aside. And then I'm watching them like really just try to make themselves look good. But you don't look good. Just admit it. You didn't expect it. There's two things that are happening. One, there's pundits who sometimes have trouble saying like, oh, holy shit, I didn't see that coming. Whereas that there's at least always a category where that happens. It's fine. But say it for what it is, which is <clears throat> this information gives her momentum to solidify a nomination. Because going into the night, she was your number four, five, six, or seven, depending on where you, who you were. Definitely not lower than seven, probably not higher than four. In all likelihood, you're five or six logically speaking. So a win doesn't put her up at number one. Because again, by that token, is Rossman Pike your number one? And this is this is a conversation I had on Twitter with a, a sort of more rabid fan of her performance um, who wanted to sort of debate, you know, and, and again, this is a thing that happens on the internet. There's no discourse, really. It's you either love something or hate it. So, you know, I clearly have an agenda by not having predicted her. Yeah, me and every single critic and pundit on the planet, because nobody predicted her to win. And you don't change winners based on set on, on on just Golden Globe. And here's the thing. Again, like what's her path? What's her best case scenario? Her best case scenario is Golden Globe, Critics Choice, and if she gets nominated at BAFTA, right? Did she make the long list? I forget. I think she did. Let's assume she's on there, okay? She missed, we already know she missed SAG. SAG is your single biggest predictor for Oscar, right? So not being able to win SAG by not being eligible, as in not being nominated, is a, is a big hit. Knowing what we know about the BAFTA voters, you can obviously call them out as being a little racist, but listen, they still are a precursor. Your best case scenario is likely, in terms of wins, Golden Globe and Critics' Choice. If I told you blindfolded, the best actress winner is either going to be the Golden Globe and Critics' Choice winner, or the SAG and BAFTA winner, who do you back? SAG and yeah. BAFTA. Exactly. And, and we're likely going to have the same person win that. We don't know who. You know, I, I'm sure a plurality will still be predicting Carrie Mulligan, but could be Frances McDormand, could be Viola Davis. So, you know, somebody is probably going to go in. Now, here's here's what your 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 Andrew Day Stan has to hope for. Um, I feel very good about myself that I use Stan properly. Um, I feel very old. 
that I, I'm proud that I did it. But here, <laughs> she wins Golden Globe. Critics' Choice, let's say doesn't matter, but let's let's even go as crazy as we can. They go Sydney Flanagan. Okay, they go in a whole other direction. They go for the critical, the critics' darling. SAG goes Viola Davis. BAFTA goes Carrie Mulligan. Who do you who do you pick then? Hold on, lay it out one more time. I mean, you answered my question. Going wait, I have no clue now. If for if 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 we eliminate Sydney Flanagan by saying that Critics' Choice becomes an outlier, if BAFTA goes Carrie Mulligan, SAG goes Viola Davis, Globes are or Andrew Day. That's your own. That's I think the only scenario in which you can then say, well, maybe Andrew Day wins because there isn't. There's clearly no consensus. Right. There's Even, no. There's no automatic front runner at that point. And not knowing who the number two is, you can presume that there's a three horse race then, and you can come up the middle with the two groups that have Academy members. So, listen. What this told me is Andrew Day is getting nominated. What it also told me is. I have no reason to change any of my other rankings because I just don't know yet. It's not to discount this, but it's to say that the things that have voters have not chimed in yet. I certainly wouldn't switch anything based on Critics' Choice. I mean, if if Andrew Day wins Critics' Choice, which let's be real, she might, it's a possibility, then I would I will come back and say like this is this is your slam dunk nominee. And maybe I boost her up to three or four just to you know see how it looks. But it's it's hard not to keep your 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 rankings the way they are, and that's just sort of how I do things. So yeah, this is what I'm saying. It's more about positioning. Wins are still irrelevant, and this goes back to what I've been saying all season long. And I, and I don't want to spend too too much time because we you know have an hour and changes worth of show still that we recorded, but. The the weirdness of this year means you can vote just what you liked. And we just saw this with the Globes. There were no Globe events, right? So on the one hand, you didn't schmooze. On the other hand, your direct targeting mailers and whatever they did certainly worked for, for you know, your I smile backs and your musics and stuff like that. But when it came time to vote, I, I'm, I'm going to go on limb and say it was a very close vote because upsets usually result from close votes. But if you if you say there was 90 votes, you could have had, you know, 33, 31, 27, you know, and two people who were behind. And that's not a great way to predict what's going to happen with other groups. But that's how you get interesting results when there's no one talking to each other. You know, like not that we, you know, would change our, our minds necessarily, but you would probably get different results for our you know if we did a combined top 10 for the staff right if i had everyone on a zoom call and we talked it out right you would maybe be swayed you know but if you're just sending me your 10 and we're we're putting them into the the computer to figure it out you're gonna rank your your list the way you want like outcome be damned right yeah exactly yeah whereas if you knew your ultimate choice was oh well every you know like for example Last year, just because I know some of Miles' stuff more, wasn't as wild about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, right? Not but if really you not. knew, but if you knew your choice was between, you know, that winning an award or something you liked less winning an award, right? 
you might then choose, well, normally I would put, you know, I'm just going to throw it, like, I'm going to put Psycho Gorman on my list just because I enjoy it. But, you know, knowing that by doing that, you're giving Axel Ridge the win. I'm, I'm just moving things around from different years to make a point. You know, you might then flip-flop just to go, well, the lesser of two evils. Right, exactly. You know, and, and that's, that's that's it's a gross simplification of how, how things work. But when you go to these events, Oscar voters talk to each other. And they talk to the pundits who are there. And we're supposed to talk to them. And, you know, you hear about, oh, everyone likes, you know, promising a woman. I got I to gotta get to it. Oh, Andrew Day and, and Billy Holiday. I heard a bunch of other reviews were bad. Oh, but it's it's getting nominated everywhere. Like they don't pay attention to this. I, I we, we actually we we came to sort of a, a ceasefire. The the person who was tweeting at me and stuff. But I keep trying to remind people: Oscar voters aren't on Twitter. Like they're not people who hover on Twitter. Go, oh, she has all the tweet buzz. Hillary Clinton tweeted about the movie. Like they. They don't care. They about don't that. care. No, like they, it just doesn't. It doesn't register. It's so it's, it's not good. as much of a factor as we like to think when we're in the middle of it. Yeah, because that's where we all. That's that's that is modern town square. Now the thing is, town square is not where the elites hang out, and I'm not saying the academy is the elites, but in this like you know feudal society terminology, they're in the ivory tower. They're separate from the lot, right? So down in the town square, all of us are talking about things on Twitter. They don't, they, they hear like 1% of that, you know, enough to be like, oh, they're storming the castle. We should probably prepare for that. But they don't listen to the, the vast majority of what happens. It's noise. So it's important to keep that in mind. There's, now less, I sound like- there's less taking the temperature of the room. There's less getting a gauge on how other people are feeling. Exactly. This is, this is why not to move current events and things, but that's why you get a lot of people who aren't active on the internet, just bewildered at some of the things that are happening. Like Dr. Seuss is canceled. Like what, why? Like it just, because you, whether you agree or disagree, you, you just, you weren't, you didn't see the conversation happen. You know, um, what's that, uh, that meme. One of my, one of my colleagues, Courtney Howard, she tweeted, she posted on Facebook and say it's Twitter in a nutshell. If you tweet like, I'm going to get it wrong. So I'm paraphrasing, you know, like I like ducks. Someone immediately is going to be like, well, I, my husband is a duck scientist and, and what you said is really hurtful. And someone immediately chimes in to go like, you're not talking about horses. And that tells me everything I need to know about you. <laughs> that's, that's just how Twitter works. So, you know, if you predict Carrie Mulligan the win, for example, and she loses, you were actively trying to sabotage Andrew Day. And, that's just not how this works. It's not how any of this works. And let's wrap up before we get into our show proper with Nomadland winning drama. Beach Trial Chicago 7. Again, it's a good get. It's great for momentum. The drama winner at the Golden Globes is a terrible predictor of the Best Picture Oscar. It just is. They, they take the temperature of that moment. And if you don't believe me... Ask 1917. Ask The Social Network. Ask Babel. You know, the list goes on. They are a moment in time. And beyond that, we'll see. You know, I want to know what happens next before I do anything. But again, 
good get for Nomadland. I'll wrap up before we get your final thoughts on just saying no f- this this headline that several people wrote that Nomadland dominated the Golden Globes. It tied for the most wins with two films that won negligible prizes. Is that dominating? Well, I don't think it's really possible in most cases for any film to dominate the Globes because they don't have tech categories. They have like writing and score and yeah. stuff, and that's pretty Listen, much it. So there's no, not room for any one film to dominate in the I mean, traditional sense. I mean, La La Land dominated the Golden Globes because it basically swept. Like that's that's dominating. You know, you 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 they were up for what six and one five or something like that. Right. You know. You, you win picture, you win director, you win screenplay, you win two acting. It's like, yeah, and, and I think they lost song. So, but they won scores. So maybe they went five for seven or something like that. Five for six. They, they dominated. That's, that's clear cut. Like it was a coronation for a movie. Everyone assumed was going to win more. Getting two, granted the two biggest is great. You had the best night, but dominate. I, I say nay, nay. Yeah, the well, best night besides uh, the the crown, but we're going TV. Yeah, well, that's a different thing. If if Francis had won Best Actress, that might be a slightly different story. Oh yeah, as is yeah. Yeah, give give me well, give me that, or give me or give me screenplay, right? Or anything mm-hmm. that just be, lets me know you were clearly the favorite film, because I'm I I look at that and went Soul dominated, fucking Borat dominated. Then like so wait. Mm-hmm. Here's here's what I really want to know. Would they still have said that if Bakalova had won when Borat actually had the most awards and by your your logical met- metric dominated the night by sweeping in categories it was nominated in? You know, um, it's just a it's just it was a pet peeve. It was it was me going. You want you had that headline written for Trial of Chicago Seven and you just changed the movie. It's yeah. not just how much you win; it's how much you lose, too. So it not coming up with screenplay or actress. That's there's no domination there. It's just it's lazy. It's clickbait. This is true. Is what it is. You're a clickbait. I sure he's, am. He's agreeing I with you. <laughs> I know. <laughs> All right. Fine. Let's wrap up with uh, with question. We uh, we addressed Ryan McDermott's pre Globes question, which our answer was accurate. Um, he has a post Globes question saying. Uh, Rosamund Pike winning Best Actress, which also happens to be the coolest thing that's ever happened at one of these shows, was the most surprising moment. Um, we love you, but you're wrong. Question, uh, what does this mean for Bakalova that she lost to someone who was barely in the Oscar race and for a voting group that clearly loved Borat? We basically addressed it by saying, uh, I think she's going to miss now. But also it's a tough metric because she's not in the same category that she would be at the Oscars. So you can't even compare her to the same potential other contenders. I honestly thought this whole time that everyone's saying that she's in in the five. I was always expecting her to miss and then everyone to be like, oh, well, we kind of. Oh, no, she was she was always she she is. If we look at sort of who you think in your head about the the four acting categories, she's easily the most likely to miss of someone who could conceivably win an Oscar, right? If you look at actor, actor is between Bozeman and let's say Hopkins, right? And even that's just sort of fringy. Anthony Hopkins isn't going to miss. Chadwick Bozeman isn't going to miss, right? Right. Actress, we, we kind of think we have a five now. 
So it's a wide open five. It's kind of cool that we that give or take a Vanessa Kirby, anyone can win. Unless Vanessa Kirby misses. And even then, we've sort of seen how that film is bouncing off, you know, the precursors. It's not landing in the same way that I think Netflix thought it would. So would that really be a shock? You know, supporting actor and supporting actress are such a mess. Is anyone else really a shock if they miss? You know, barring, I would say, Kaluuya because he seems like he's going to win and Sasha Baron Cohen because he's in a movie we know they're going to like. Right. You know, that it's just there. She always was the one who fit as like the, you know, she could win, but she also could miss. And that's that's what I think might happen. Now, I could be wrong and I'm going to I'm going to think about it. And if she, you know, wins SAG, that's a that's big help. If she gets in the BAFTA or, you know, that's a help. If she wins Critics' Choice, that's a help. But, you know, I, I, I'm probably, at least for the moment, going to move her out. It's a tough yeah, year. I mean, I think it, it is a tough year. And I think, you know, her being – or her initially seeming like she was more of a sure bet, I think, speaks more to the scarcity of competition than it does – her, like, if there were just one or two more serious contenders for that category, I don't think she'd even be in the conversation this much. Pike's win might have been, you know, directly related to that. That yeah. there you go. There's yeah. your serious previously nominated actress. Yeah. As we transition to the rest of the episode, featuring a uh, new sugar and spicy, um, tell me one interesting nomination situation you think is going to happen when the golden when the academy awards announce you can use globes as a as a tracking and say something that's changed for you recently or you know the the tech precursors that happened i'll give you an example I'll, I'll, i'll start i am i am heavily considering i don't think i'm gonna do it but i'm heavily considering a scenario in which tenant gets one nomination one and that's it you mean yeah mm. Okay, I could see that. With my overall situation being that I think we're going to see that the techs are going to be a ridiculous mess. You know, you're going to have like Pinocchio with two or three, Jingle Jangle with two or something like that. Sure, sure. But your your more traditional ones, like I, that's, that's sort of what I'm getting at. I feel like Tenet will underperform, even though I don't know where I'm removing it from yet. I just feel like it's going to miss a cut. It's going to do a, it's going to first man itself just without the above the line stuff. Well, I'm going to go with Close But No Cigar with Glenn Close not making the five. Haha. <laughs> so do you have Bakalova still in then? Or do you have them both missing? I don't know who... I No, I don't know who, who fits in there. I just don't think she's going to make I it. I asked I too many think, questions, didn't I? Well, I got to sit down and look at a list. <laughs> and, and, uh, if you want me to look it over, Close out, Coleman in, Foster. Yeah. So your five, just swap her out and everyone else shifts up one with the exception of... So who's your winner? Who's my winner? Oh, that's a that's a tough category for winner. Um, I'm, I'm going to go with... You know, I kind of like Foster. Okay. That'll be a, that would be a wild uh, turn yeah. of events. I like Safety right. uh, as, you know, personal... I just got to get in first. 
Yeah, she's got to get in and she's got to get some uh, some energy behind her. Well, with a high energy uh, push like you're giving her right now, I think that goes without saying. This is exactly why I'm doing this. So listen up, voters. Nothing nothing she needs more like a man trying desperately not to fall asleep. That's my life. I know. Miles, wrap us up so Steve can take a nap. Of course. Um, I don't necessarily think this will happen, but if we're talking sort of interesting sort of surprise scenarios, I think there's definitely a world in which uh, Hopkins is the only nomination the father gets. Interesting. Yeah, it's a possibility. I don't think it's likely, but it's there's a world. In a world. In a world. As far as like Which, a big, because there's always, I feel like most years, there's always that one film that everyone thought would do not even really well, but would have more of a presence than almost none at all. Yeah. Like even oh, if no, Adam it's... Sandler didn't get in for Uncut Gems, maybe he would get a tech or a music somewhere along the line and just to be yeah. completely shut out, that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Well, we will we will have uh, next week we'll go over Critics' Choice. And between now and the nominations, we're going to have an episode that's just we'll go through every category. We'll all have our, our nominations. We'll talk them out. It'll be great. Kendall and Casey will have Vanessa Kirby in every category. And uh, it'll be great. So we're going to leave you with the uh, first half of the episode now in the second half. If you're confused, you're like us. And if you're not confused, you're smarter than us. So This is a tenant episode. Oh, yeah. This is a this is a temporal pincer, right? Yeah, that's I don't know. Let's call Christopher Nolan. And it's, and it's almost as long as Tenet. <laughs> yeah, that is that is also true. And uh, slightly less pretentious. Only slightly. Oh, I said it. All right. We'll uh, we'll be back next week. Enjoy us from like a day ago. Doing our nonsense. Yay. Hi, Pasty. Hmm. Oh, don't meet yourself. Don't meet your former self. The world's gonna. Oh no! I can see the fabric of the universe tearing. No. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Awards Radar Podcast. As always, I'm Joey, and I am uh, joined again by Steve. Hello, everyone, and the glorious return of Miles. Well, I don't know about glorious, but I'm here. Yeah, that's true. That's more accurate. Never mind. Um, Miles is back from the set of Sugar and Spicy, and we'll find out what they're up to later on in episode three. Well, chapter chapter three. Uh, not as good as you know. The critics are saying not as good as Wandavision, but exists. Well, that's the most I could have hoped for, to be honest. Yeah, more it's a nice than Wandavision. Place to live. In a, yeah, yeah. Uh, Westview. I think he means not as good as Wandavision. I know most things right now. More on Wandavision in a bit. First, we have a question. We'll get our uh, Film Hawk face-off out of the way, which we mean in a nicer way than that. Thank you, Ryan. Comes to us from Ryan McDermott. Film Hawk face-offs, recent Golden Globe musical comedy winners. The Kids Are All Right or The Artist? Both noted laugh riots. I'm going to go with The Artist. It gets a lot of hate, and it was a fun watch, and uh, I liked what they did with it. I left the theater happy. I didn't realize I was supposed to hate it until Twitter came about. Hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I don't have a strong opinion on either of them, uh, but I'd probably lean towards the artist. I think for what it is, it's very successful. It just maybe got a bit overhyped. Yeah, 
I mean, yeah, the artist is good. It's, it's a gimmick, but the gimmick works. I'm, yeah. I'm gonna go Kids Are Alright just because I like the acting a little better. Um, you know, it's that's a that's a very good execution of a story that could have been cringy. Sure. So we all we all sort of forget that like the the simplicity of it was was sort of an elegant feature as opposed to like you know imagine that movie directed by Brett Ratner. God. <laughs> or any movie. Uh, spe- speaking of movies that are problematic, <laughs> uh, Les Mis or American Hustle? Oh, American Hustle. It's not even a contest. I left American Hustle feeling more indifferent than I expected. I guess it works better. You know, if you just watch them as a whole, it works better. Les Mis is, is problematic. As in works at all? Yeah, there's some scenes that work. I like Hathaway's performance. It, it, it's Broadway. It's Broadway on screen, so there's... Definitely some elements that work, and I like the showiness of it, um, but there's also parts that f- it falls apart. Yeah, it's more uh, community theater on screen. Let's not get yeah, into <laughs> it. Miz is fine if you don't look at it. Like, I revisited it um, when the Blu-ray came out, I think, and I just put it on and didn't look at it. And I was like, okay, this is acceptable background noise. You know what you Give should it. do then? You should just listen to the Broadway recording like soundtrack, and then you don't even have to do Russell Crowe's terrible excuse for singing. That is true. You could, you know, go and, uh, you know, have the people who are talented do it. But still, you know. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, American Hustle for me. I, le- I like that movie quite a bit. Haven't seen it in a long time. Should revisit it. But it's like three quarters of a great movie. I may have to because I I, I remember thinking, again, maybe my, uh, my expectations were – were too high looking at the cast yeah. i'll check it out and come Fair. back yeah, I, had a, I had a similar thing because i was very excited for it and i left it being like it was good not great mm-hmm. but compared to lame i mean lame is is nothing i, I think the is, main but... issue yeah not, i don't like it at all i think the main issue with american hustle which i liked and i think cracked like the bottom of my top 10 list that year was they uh they forget about amy adams in the last like half hour yeah and up until then she's like winning your she's winning the oscar until that point like right up until then, you're like, this is amazing. And then they kind of forget about that strand. And, and not that I don't want to see how the scam wraps up, but that isn't why you're what you're enjoying the most about it. It's a good it's a very good movie. But yeah, there they there's there's a there's another edit of that movie. I think maybe that's that's superior. I don't disagree with that. Yeah. There we go. Here's a here's a. And here's one that I feel like we're going to disagree on. The Grand Budapest Hotel or The Martian? Here's a question in general with these face-offs. Is this our personal pick or is this what we think history oh, you've will been remember? Talk, you've been talking about Mark Johnson, aren't you? I, 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 would, I, would I favorite or best. Johnson and I say, man, he's got a point because it's – don't, don't say that out loud. He'll hear you. Oh, shit. Sorry. He's got a um, bad point. Yeah, that's that's the vibe. No, I mean, I I I, I can't believe I'm saying this. I do agree with Mark. There is a difference in favorite versus best, but I would say in a face-off, you're you're almost always picking your personal preference. Um, yeah, um, for for my money, it's The Martian by a wide wide gap. Uh, I genuinely love both films. Um, I think they did they come out. There were different years, right? Yeah, um, I, yeah, I think I think they both these are winners, top so yeah. five of their respective years. Um, I think I'm going to go Grand Budapest Hotel. It's my favorite Wes Anderson film, and I wasn't even that big of a Wes Anderson fan before I saw it. But I just every moment of that film delights me, and it's one of those ones I want to start rewatching as soon as it's over. Yeah, I don't. Uh, 
I'm not a Wes Anderson fan. I, I like his animated work. I think he's much more fit for that. The live action, like, I'm just annoyed usually. This one annoyed me the least, probably. So I, I, I liked it, but that's, you know, that was me going, eh, this one I didn't dislike. The Martian was one of my favorite books of the of that like of the decade I would say, and and they they executed the book the book like phenomenally. So I was thrilled. And let me tell you, when they announced Ridley Scott, I was like, oh shit. Yeah. Although I I gotta say, probably his best movie in the last like 15, 20 years. Well, it's it goes back to that thing where he doesn't make like really like a meh movie. He makes a misfire or a good movie or better. Like he doesn't really have the like okay that that existed. He's either on or off, and and. I was initially annoyed because Drew Bedard it was supposed to be his Cabin in the Woods follow-up. And he wrote, yeah. obviously wrote the script and then bailed to make Sinister Six, which didn't happen. But Well, no, you know, he I, bailed from that to do Daredevil, and then he bailed from Daredevil to do Sinister Six, and then none of them happened. Yeah, well, there's so that tragic. too. But, you know, he, uh, I was super into it because I was like, oh, wait, Cabin in the Woods guy making this book? Like, I'm in. And clearly he wrote a good script. But, uh, but yeah. It was like very quick, and I was like, "Wait, really, Scott? Oh, you just went for the biggest name, but mm. certainly worked out." I, I, yeah, that, and I wasn't super into Matt Damon at the time for it. Not that I don't like Matt Damon; I think he's a great actor. But I was like, he doesn't strike me as a nerdy scientist. But sure, he should played it. How about them apples? Yeah, right. Um, I'm going with Martian. I, I really enjoy both films, but I think The Martian. Uh, just gives me memories of sitting in the theater and it's a good theater film that you could recommend to anybody and expect them to come back and say that was pretty damn good and uh, yeah, and, and and i missed and that steve is an steve's a noted disco fan and yes disco <laughs> <laughs> um this one is going to be the hardest one so far at least for me la la land or ladybird for me it's easy la la land both excellent films. La La Land's one of my one of my top films of the decade. Yeah, I'm I'm in the same boat. Lady Bird is great, but La La Land is a masterpiece. Mm. I I believe I'm going La La Land also, though I will say that I think some of the highs of Lady Bird might even be higher than La La Land. They're they're both amazing, but I think I even underrated Lady Bird a little bit at the time because I remember. Like, I saw La La Land the late, like a couple, I feel like it was a couple of days, it was a couple of days before the election. So I saw La La Land in November, right? And then the movie comes out at the end of November, beginning of December, I think. So it was toward the end of its, its like, previews. Like, it was known as a thing. Lady Bird I saw at NYFF when it was still sort of building buzz. And I remember not being sure what people would think of it. Like, at the end, I was like, I really loved it, but is this going to leave people cold? It wasn't until after, and I was like, wait, this is universally beloved? But, yeah, I, I of the two, La La Land is better, but, like, you know, special citation to Lady Bird or something like that. Mm. Okay, we can do this one very quickly. <laughs> Green Book or Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? On behalf of Casey <laughs> and Kendall, I say Green Book. Uh, but on my behalf... Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, by far. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm i not a huge fan of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I think it kind of falls apart at the end. But for the first, like, two-thirds or so, I give it to that over Green Book, which doesn't have any redeeming qualities. See, I, I still, I don't hate Green Book. It's easy to make fun of, and I do, because I'm nothing if not someone who takes an easy target. Um, but 
it is a throwback, you know, 90s style feel good uh, buddy drama comedy thing. Like it, the thing it's trying to do, it's doing well. It's just not a thing we need anymore. Well, the thing so. it's trying to do is tell a story about uh, white racists solving racism in like <laughs> oh, yeah. I, the modern age. It just doesn't. I mean, it feels so tone deaf. Exactly. It's what it's doing. It's doing well. The tone it's taking. We don't need anymore. We don't need that. We don't need driving Miss Daisy. Even potentially we were talking about earlier, like the blind side. Like these are movies that like if you just look at them as a movie, they're good movies. But if you look at what they're saying, you're like, you're missing the point of reality. Like you're you're making a fantasy. Yeah. So and then obviously the people who then defend the movie don't buy into the fantasy. Like, no, this is this is real life because reasons. So like, yeah, I listen, it's not a bad movie. It, it is losing to Tarantino's movie, which I think is his second or third best. It's not because it's Green Book against this. Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I think the biggest competition it has on this list would have been La La Land. Otherwise, it, you know, it, it's winning no matter what. It's that good of a film, I think. I think so The Martian much. might be my favorite of the entire list. It's up there. This is a, this is a good uh, a good face-off by Ryan. A lot of good well, stuff. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. The, 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 the ultimate winner of the category is almost never bad. The problem is they almost always have a music or a tourist or a burlesque. Yeah. They, when you well that's the thing when you have 80 shitty members who are as we have heard time and time again 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 including this year like easily bought or influenced you can get something in and listen that's the rules they allow so you can't have any issue with any of the any of the studios going for it like i don't know who put out music but whatever they did to get it in front of people that's that's part of the game you know the thing back at the time was that burlesque flew members who were around out to Vegas to see like a like a Christina Aguilera or like share concert or something like oh, that. Boy. Like, listen, that's 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 the game. Like if if it worked, like I listen, the Academy has rules to prevent that. The clubs don't. For example, the Critics Choice Association doesn't really have rules preventing that. So there are studios that that will, will fall on over voters more than not. And, and trust me, I appreciate it. But, you know, one, it doesn't influence my voting, which everyone says. But like, you know, you guys know what I like. Trust me, it wouldn't. It, my votes would be different if I was going by what, you know, the gifts were. But, uh, you know, there's also three to four hundred people in, in CCA. It's a lot harder to, you know, swing a vote than it is to take, you know, 80 members how many do you need to crack a line, crack a lineup of comedy musical? You know, we could do the math, but it's not a huge number. Little sidebar can, for the studios. Uh, just so you know, we don't have any rules. So when the upcoming, yeah. uh, not yet discussed, but I'm sure we will at some point, uh, awards, radar awards do come up. Please feel free to send gifts and send me to share concerts. Thank you. Yeah, I mean the first annual awards, Raider Awards, have already been held. So you're talking about next year's. Well, I'm second talking annual. about the one where we're yeah, the one we're going to televise and uh, do the live YouTube. Uh, which we're going to go for that. Probably. Yeah, we may have to start on a smaller channel. So ESPN eight. We can be bought. <laughs> Thank you, Miles. I think you. Got oh, it. listen, I I am of the belief that there is nothing wrong with with um, a studio or a a, a group. Or a thing that is trying to uh, achieve a goal, um, trying to, for, for lack of a better word, buy your vote. The it's the onus is on the voter to still vote what they think is the best. 
Like if you if you can't withstand a little little uh, you know whatever you want to call it bribery or you know the warm shoulder as opposed to the cold shoulder that's that's on you. Like that's a that's a that's a personal failing. You should be able to go look at this awesome thing I got sent from Hulu, from Amazon, from Netflix, from Warner Brothers, whoever and then go, well, but they sent it for a movie I didn't care for, so I appreciate it. I will, you know, promote that you sent it out to raise awareness for your film, but your vote will still not be the the vote, you know, I'm going to vote for what I do. I mean, this is just what I do. Which is what we've seen with, you know, with you. You've done that. Yeah. Uh, and I go, my gosh, you know, they send this great package. How are you not influenced? And then your review comes out and you speak about it on the podcast and you're, you're honest. So, oh, yeah. Like, listen, I uh, the United States versus Billy Holiday is a good example. I don't care for that film. They send a very nice. They sent, I think, two separate times. I think they sent uh, packages. I, I'm happy to put them on on social media. I say nothing negative about the film. I remind people that they can watch it. Like I, I take part in that because marketing is a part of the industry. Like you can't separate marketing from film. Also, we want our industry to live. So people need to watch these things. Well, also, it's your opinion too. So if you're yeah, still exactly. getting the word out there, people can make the the decision on their own. There's no reason. Oh yeah, no, I I've, I've I have never once been like, don't go see a movie. I, I make it clear that you're not going to enjoy this movie. Or like in the case of like I Smile, um, there are certain movies where I think it's like terrible, but I know I'm in the minority. So I'm, I'm freely admitting like, listen, you're probably going to feel differently than I do. But this is how I feel, you know. Um, I mean, even even, you know, back when the world was normal, Netflix got a little bit of heat for for how um, they they were treating CCA members in the sense of like, would you like to come to the premiere in L.A.? We'll fly you out and stuff like that, which is something that a lot of studios used to do. They don't do it as much anymore. It's expensive. And and they would much rather target their campaign a little bit differently. So there's a little bit of sour grapes there. But, you know, is it how much of a correlation is there between that and how well they do with Critics' Choice? You could argue that there's a correlation. You could also argue that, you know, what were the best movies of the last couple of years? Social Network. I'm, I mean, Charles Chicago 7 and Mank and Ma Rainey. Like, these are the expected heavy hitters. You know, last year, um, The Irishman and Marriage Story and um, The Two Popes. Like, you know, they're, they're not the, – the thing is they're not pushing crap on you. And that's that's where that's where we'll see. Like, if you want to know the answer, wait until Netflix has a bad slate, you know, which they may never do because they also have the ability to go and, and pick up things. Like, they didn't need to pick up Malcolm Marie, and obviously it's more of a divisive film, but they can easily go, oh, this movie looks good. Which is it? Which is that? Let's see what happens. You know, they or they can pick up Trial Chicago 7 because Paramount is, is iffy on, you know, the theatrical experience to go. Are you really trying to sell us like a best picture frontrunner potentially? Yes, we will buy this, you know, and supplement Mank and not, you know, just have one horse. So what's great about we'll staying see. true to yourself and staying true to your your feelings about a film is and not getting swayed by the marketing or by the other voices around you is in a year from now, 10 years from now, when people go, yeah, that wasn't that great of a film. It was, you know, and that happens a lot as you look back and look at our Academy Award winners. Your review will stand out as the one that is, uh, you know, that's honest and, and true. And people, oh, shit, he knew back then, you know, not saying you're always right, but at least you're not jumping on the ship and going down with it later on. Second part of the question, 
Ryan also asks if the father wins drama new frontrunner. I'm going to say no. We're also recording this half before the we know the answer. Second half of this will be recorded after we know the answer. You'll hear this after the answer. And uh, I'm just going to say if it does win, it solidifies its nomination. But you chalk it up as one of those otter wins that don't necessarily impact things. Miles. Yeah, I would I would I would feel the exact same way. It's it, it was one where earlier on in the season it felt like, oh, well, this is a front runner and it's between Anthony Hopkins and Chadwick or whoever else to win best actor. And it's going to be out there. And like it's barely had a ripple between now and then. So I think I think if it wins, it'll be a sort of surprise, especially considering its competition. And yeah, it'll probably solidify a nomination, but I don't think it changes anything as far as what wins the Oscars. Yeah, I mean, I would look to it much more for, like you said, and what I said, if it pulls the upset, oh, there's a there's a show of force, uh, sort of, I, I mean, ironically, in the same way that I think when 1917 won last year, we were like, oh, that's not going to matter, but cool. And then it started winning a lot of things. So there's always the possibility of that, but, you know, I, I, I wouldn't anticipate it. It's got some powerhouse performances. So Yeah, yeah, you never know. So we'll see. Stay tuned for the rest of our Golden Globe conversation later. Um, I want to bring up a bit of news that I found interesting uh, in that we're getting a Superman reboot at last. You know, they love to make Batman movies. Superman, they, they struggle a little bit for. And there were two elements of the news, one of which seems very, very expected and one is a little bit unexpected. Uh, one is that J.J. Abrams is going to produce. I mean, that's not super, you know, surprising. I feel like if you were choosing a, a new Godfather for for the franchise, that's you could do a lot worse. And uh, he also nearly made one like 20 years ago, so that makes sense too. But the more interesting fact is that the screenwriter is going to be Ta-Nehisi Coates. And that means that we seem to be getting a Superman of color, which uh, sure will be not controversial at all, first of all. No one's going to have an issue with that. But I think is a fantastic idea, not for representation or any of that, which is also important, but because the theme of the character we've sort of lost a little bit. Like, it, it, it is the immigrant story. It's the other story, you know. And, and I think you find a really potentially interesting story in if they do the Calvin Ellis storyline, which is that he's also president of the United States. It's a clear like Obama thing. But, you know, what does Superman fight for? Truth, justice and the American way. That sounds like supposedly the president also, give or take, you know, a couple in our history. And what could be more interesting than someone doing that? Well, as you know, in, in, in costume being othered while he's trying to do that. And also in, you know, Calvin Ellis being the Clark Kent alias, you know, also being othered in that sense while doing that, that just seems like really fertile ground. So I don't know if that's what they're doing. There have been a couple of, of, uh, incarnations of Superman that are not just Clark Kent and Kal-El. So this is just one option, but that's my vote. Like if that that is a movie I would be dying to see. I have no idea who they're going to get to direct, but I feel like that is a that is a hell of a superhero movie you can make. 
Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, J.J. Abrams sort of had a, a first look deal with Warner Brothers, like I want to say like a year ago or at least a few months ago. So I think this is something that, especially considering he nearly made the uh, Superman flyby all those years ago. Yeah, we, we always we knew. Sort of, yeah. Sort of guessing that this is where that was headed. Either but, he was interested or they were going to ask him, like the conversation was going to happen, whether it happened or not. Exactly. You know, whether, whether he said yes or whether they wanted it to, one of the two were going to bring it up because – if you have a first look deal at Warner Brothers, what what property would you want to, you know, what's the highest profile property they have that's not being made right now? It's it's Superman. Exactly. Yeah. But uh, what's interesting, I think, is that uh, the other person who has a similar deal with Warner Brothers is Michael B. Jordan, who uh, yeah. has already come up as a potential casting choice if they do go this route. Uh, and I agree with you. I think the Calvinella story would be a fascinating one. Uh, my initial inclination would be, oh, well, that's a cool idea, but the studio is going to botch it. But the fact that they've got um, Ta-Nehisi Coates uh, writing it, I think, is a very it's it's a sign that they're willing to sort of explore some more diverse voices. He's done some great work, you know, writing for comics as well as uh, his own work. Um, so I think there's definitely a lot of potential to that. And I also think it's nice because it can sort of be a kind of similar to what uh, the Matt Reeves, the Batman is, where it's kind of separate from the main continuity. So it doesn't necessarily preclude Henry Cavill still being, you know, the Clark Kent Superman in whatever other project he may or may not end up doing. Yeah. Um, so it's it, in a lot of ways, it's kind of a best case scenario because you get to explore this really interesting story and, you know, kind of look at a character through a very different lens. While at the same time, it doesn't throw off whatever fractured continuity they're still trying to do. I mean, you know, we've got Zack Snyder's Justice League to look forward to next month. <laughs> and, um, you know, that this month, final... we're, we're actually by the time people oh, yeah, hear this... by the time this comes out, it'll be this month. You're right. Yeah, it exists. Um, so an um, exciting time. So... Oh, maybe. I mean, somewhat spoiler alert for the site. Um, I may be seeing this thing very soon. Oh. Stay tuned there. Um, but that said, that may be uh, something of a nail in the coffin in their attempt to sort of create their own Avengers verse. They seem to be yeah. much more interested in doing the sort of splintered, you know, everyone gets their own different stories. And even if they've got the same casting choices for like Aquaman and Wonder Woman, they're still very much kind of doing their own thing. And I think the idea that everything needs to connect to each other kind of withered on the vine with the Joss Whedon Justice League. So, oh, yeah, though, listen, I mean, there's a world. I think the, clearly the focus should be tell individual stories. Don't necessarily worry about all that. Use well, that's your... when they do their best stuff is when each story yeah. focuses on being a good story. Yeah, and use three other stories. And listen, you can use the you can use Flash, and and their sort of multiverse oh, type yeah, thing. Where is that? They can. So they they're gonna. We're gonna see how that works out. That may work. It may not. Um, they could use a shakeup. That's for sure. And and yeah, you know, but here's the thing: pieces that work. So, you know what? Get rid of the, the, the crummy pieces. Keep the ones that work. They don't need to do a complete reboot. I think that's where the mistakes happen. And they go, well, let's yeah. – it's just Spider-Man. And let's, interestingly let's, – let's scrap the whole universe. No, they could have gone back in – even back to Tobey Maguire and fixed it. But yeah, let's put DC back on track. And even – and even and here's, here's what I would tell them if they had hired me. One, they wouldn't. This is good movie pitches. Um, see, I get good movie pitches. You guys get bad. Um <laughs> I would say you could still work towards a, a Justice League because if you had Calvin Ellis, like that almost makes sense. The, well, the superhero United leader. Right? Yeah. The, the president of the United States would organize, you know, that would make sense to go get Batman. 
you know, as a one-off, as opposed to like Justice League was clearly meant to be a you know recurring thing. Um, it's always it's always a struggle. Even Marvel, to some degree, struggles with the. They come together. We know there's the Avengers, but then they go off and have their own of, of adventures, and some of them address it, and some of them don't. You know, of just like, well, you seem in over your head. Couldn't you call your much stronger friend? Um, mm. you know, some do. You know, they have brought that up before. Like in, I think Spider Man especially is like, oh, we want to leave the Avengers out of it, so they know that I can handle this. Whereas right. other movies, sometimes you're, you're just like, you, you know, you could get help. They're much better about it now because they're all, you know. They're all vaguely Avengers movies now. They're all team-up movies. Well, and also, like, in the current timeline, like, what even is the Avengers? Half of them are dead or retired, so, you Yeah, know. some of them, I mean, some of them are in space. They're all scattered about, so that yeah. makes, yeah, there's it a It makes reason. way more sense now why everyone wouldn't suddenly come together on a moment's notice. Exactly. But, uh, but for me, I would, you know, I, I don't need a Justice League movie, but if we may, if, if, let's say they ace... Superman and they do Calvin Ellis and then that's a franchise you know you could easily build up the idea of a of you know the 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 global threat and and going and potentially getting the Robert Pattinson Batman you know and saying I need I need other people oh there's this like gritty guy on the ground in Gotham City you know maybe he can do some detective work for me like that it doesn't even need to be a full-on Justice League I mean, you could make sure. a Justice League, but you could almost do the whole the thing of like, um, which movie? What, what Doctor Strange was in? Which which Marvel movie did he cameo in recently? Where uh, it was just like Ragnarok. Yeah, yeah. Where he's just like, oh, you need my help? I, I'll bounce in. I'll help you, and then I gotta go. Bye. Yeah. Like you could. Yeah, easily I want to see more of that. Just like you know, it can be a one scene cameo. It's just like, oh, hey, here's your thing. Bye. Or or even like have a Superman movie where. They're trying to figure out like a terrorist threat or something like that. And he calls in Batman, the world's greatest detective. Go figure this out. And there's a 15 minute sequence where he's in Bat. Like you could do like, like Batman in the Middle East, like investigating, you know, a, a terrorist threat. Like you could that could be an interesting thing. And you're sort of you're teasing at the threat of Justice League without ever really doing it. Because, again, you know, it's hard to do giant monster from space and Batman. Sure, because he, well, he that, is that's still where like, certainly the most recent Justice League struggled is not having Batman hoofing it on the ground with a little gun, being like, "I'm helping too." Yeah, like that's well, well, that's that was the thing. This Batman, they made him more of the, the leader to shield him from some of the like nitty gritty. Which granted, like Ben Affleck was good in the role, but it wasn't a satisfying Batman. Right, you know, Batman v Superman was a much more satisfying Batman, even though it's a divisive Batman. Because you're like, okay, this is a Batman, as opposed to like you're you're not racked by any pain really. You're just kind of like the harried boss of this club, and that's not interesting. Yeah. Like you know, it you may not have enjoyed the Snyder Batman. Most people didn't, I would argue, but it was a Batman. You know, he, he the 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 darkness of the character was there, and and. You could see why that would make sense. Oh, yeah, this this Batman would see Superman as an alien terrorist, essentially. And and that's, you know, what you want. You want an, you want an interpretation. For all, for all the problems of Batman versus Superman, and there are many, it's still someone's vision of these characters. And that's, that's better than Justice League, which was, you know, goo. Which was designed by committee. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. And I think also the big thing here, you know, regardless of whatever connections it may or may not have with a larger universe, I think this could be definitely an opportunity to finally create because there's been so many Batman movies to the point where everyone can kind of have their favorite. You know, some people like the Nolan era. Some people prefer Michael Keaton. Some people are all about Adam West. Everyone can kind of, you know, flock to the Batman they like. And each one of those has been done well. There are people who love the Ben Affleck version, and that's their Batman. That's cool. But you could argue that there hasn't really been a singularly great Superman movie. Uh, you know, the Christopher Reeve movies are very good for the time, but they they one could argue they don't exactly hold up by modern standards. You know, Man of Steel is interesting, but it's also, you know, ends with 40 minutes of, you know, Metropolis being, you know, savaged in 9-11 imagery. So regardless of it, if it's Clark Kent or not, I think we the world is still kind of aching for a, a great Superman movie that fully stands on its own. And I think this could be uh, finally the opportunity to really get that. Well, yeah, that's that's the thing I was thinking about when I was when I was reading this news and I and I was like, oh, Calvin Ellis. And I got really excited about Calvin Ellis just because that's the type of movie I want. If you think about it, yeah, Superman one, Superman two are good movies. They're especially good for their time. Now they're very nostalgic as opposed to, you know, well, that's the thing about them is you have to give them that asterisk of for the time. Exactly. At the time, they're amazing. For now, they're they're still effective because the story they're telling works, but you know, visually they're not especially interesting anymore. Three is three and four are not great. I mean, three is is hit or miss. Like it's not a bad movie. Four is a lot closer to a bad movie, though. I still love Nuclear Man just because as a kid I was like, what bad Superman um, with nails that scratch you? Like it was so stupid. I enjoyed it, you know. And he got like the electricity. Like that was just a fun thing to watch as a kid. Oh, you're the one. Not satisfying. Not satisfying in the slightest as an adult. But yeah, like when you're when you're when did Superman four come out? This is not the point I wanted to make, but we'll do this anyway. Uh, Superman four. Like is, yeah, so it's as old as I am. So I saw it on Channel 11 on like a Saturday afternoon when I was probably six, seven, you know, eight, like whatever. So, yeah, that's that's about where it's where it's at. But, you know, they had definitely lost the thread of Superman. And then Superman Returns is a Donner movie. And and is elegant in the sense of you're watching a Richard Donner Superman movie, but again, isn't really any progression of the character. So at the time I liked it, but wasn't anything new. And then Man of Steel is a new version of the character and and a take, and I liked it at the time. But I think you're right. I think I, as much as I always seem to like the movie, they haven't really hit on the 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 what makes Superman Superman. And that's, that's where I think the Calvin Ellis idea could really work because you're, you're, you're telling it on multiple levels because you can't really just do Superman. He's pure. He's good. Cause he's, you know, still just a, you know, boring white guy. It, it, it's not a great look anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and even just as a superhero, it's not as much fun. Like that's the, the struggle with Captain Marvel. Like how do you, how do you deal with the character who can kind of just win when they feel like winning? Yeah, you have to you do you have, anything. Exactly. You need to figure out a way to make that interesting. And I think, I think, you know, the, the Calvin Ellis idea is great because there's also the idea of restraint. Like, you know, if he decides he needs to bomb somewhere, is he bombing it as the president? Is he going over a Superman to go punch a building? Like, how does that work? And what are the, what are the, what is the cost of it? 
and also how do you balance you know i i'm i want to be the 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 ideal but also you know be it, it just it has a lot of a potential I, that's the thing i i think too often a superman movie seems simple yeah. because it is the themes are very simple so i think no matter what version of this character we get now i think having someone who deals in complex thoughts and complex emotions is a great start. Yeah. Well, and because I think that immediately makes him more interesting where he's limited, not by like kryptonite or by, you know, world engine malarkey, but it's less of, it's not about what he can do. It's about what he should do. And about, yeah. you know, the societal sort of repercussions and consequences of his actions. And that, I mean, as we're talking about it, this already sounds like a way more sophisticated movie than what I expect they're going to end up making. Oh, yeah. It is also worth pointing out that it hasn't been officially confirmed that this is going to be a black Superman. I think that's the conjecture that's sort of gone around based on the choice of screenwriter. But, you know, Coates also done a, did a run on um, Captain America. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that we'll still get another Clark Kent or even honestly that it'll be Henry Cavill again. It'll be more of a soft reboot. Which so, is, which you know, listen, you can you can you can do it. I think I think you have a unique opportunity to in that you know I I don't like for example I don't think that a black James Bond changes the character any. Yeah, it's just it's a different it's a different version of the character, which you know listen could be great, but doesn't change fundamentally change the character at all. So it's not. It, I don't want to say change for change's sake, but it's it's not. It doesn't do the same thing. Like here, a a black Superman really leans into what what does it mean to be Superman, yeah. and and that's that's where the uniqueness comes. It's yeah. a it's a change in the character closer to if you had a female James Bond, because obviously, you know the 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 traditional idea of like masculinity is very tied into like the James Bond. Guns, womanizer, fast cars, you know, you change the gender, suddenly you're, you're look. you know, there are people who will look at that character in a different way. And that's where this interesting perspective is potentially there. Now, at the same time, you can also just do Henry Cavill and, and tell a good story. Find a, a take that's somewhere in between, you know, pure good and, and his more recent take, which was, do I deserve, should I even be Superman? Does does the Earth even deserve a Superman? Like, which is fine, but, you know, was was maybe a little even morbid for at the time where we were living. So, Well, Into the Spider-Verse proved that we can go in and take a look at different uh, takes on superheroes and really... Uh, add some life to these uh, to these worlds. Going into into the Spider Verse, I didn't know anything about the character, but I absolutely love the film. And I love the approach. It blew everything up, and it changed. Uh, you know, I, it sounds like it's setting up the uh, the whole uh, multiverse. You know, from so even from that perspective of just how do you grow the the universe, uh, it does a lot. But it allowed you to the things they they covered in that without even really covering it without even you know going in and talking about this issue or that issue but just uh having the uh the amount of inclusion and the different uh, the diversity of the characters in the in the universe that or the you know more the neighborhood he existed in um made it for such a much richer you know film beyond just being a superhero film absolutely yeah i hope they take notes there and follow the suit 
it all comes back to there being a vision for the mm-hmm. character. And speaking th- of vision, yeah, you knew what I was doing there. We are we are now uh, days away from the finale of WandaVision. Um, I believe Miles is going to be writing something up. Um, hint, hint, wink, wink. But sure. yeah, totally. Yeah, we. What do we think? Uh, I'm I'm still pretty pumped. I mean, the last episode was definitely you know heavy, heavy on exposition and flashback, which you could argue is still going with the sitcom tropes. There being yeah. you know some sort of flashback heavy episode, but I also think it's important information that we kind of need going into the finale uh, because now sort of the table is set. We know. We have a pretty good idea who everyone is and what they're doing and why they're there and what's at stake. And now we can kind of the finale can be my understanding is it's going to be around 50 minutes or so. It's going to be the longest episode so far, which makes sense. I mean, they also rumor every episode recently has been rumored to be an hour. So we'll see. Yeah. Um, But I I think it's it's pretty likely that at very least this one will be as long as the last one, if not longer. Yeah. Um, Just so that it can tie up all the loose threads. Uh, the thing I'm interested in sort of going forward, because um, Kevin Feige talked recently about um, approaching the Disney Plus shows sort of a season at a time. Um, you know, he's already said that, you know, after uh, the show wraps up, Wanda is going to go straight into Doctor Strange 2 and that they're kind of looking at that connection more than necessarily thinking about whether there will be a season two of WandaVision. I think a lot of that sort of depends on where Vision ends up at the end of this show Um, because spoilers there's two of them now and uh, you know maybe there could be some sort of weird hybrid of the two or maybe the show will end with them destroying each other and canceling each other out is this a way to bring vision back or is this kind of the character's swan song we won't really know until the finale but that i think will sort of determine whether there's a room for a second season or whether this is more to set up you know some things in doctor strange 2 and even potentially spider-man 3 yeah i mean i it, what's interesting is there somehow they they anticipated that a lot of people would be watching who don't watch their show their movies yeah. so they've had you know was it episode four I think it was when they when they they bring you like outside of the sitcom yeah. which was about the right time for okay I'm, I'm enjoying myself but what is happening and then the last episode for you know, so uh, none of you guys actually know any of what we're talking about. We should probably back up a little bit, though. I, I so one of my one of my friends, their wife is watching, and uh, he's like, "I only I only did one like let me pause and show you something." And he did um, Vision being killed twice. Ironically, I think then the following episode showed it anyway, mm-hmm. but. You know, other than that, he was able to explain it or what I told him and also what I told a uh, a person in the industry that I was talking to. Um, you know, in, it is award season. So, we, you know, I'm talking to the people that I know and uh, they're watching WandaVision and love it, but don't watch Marvel movies. They're like, how can conf- how confused should I be? And I don't remember where I heard it, but I've been I've been using this this phrase, which I think is very apt. Like anything you really don't understand, chalk it up as David Lynch, like Twin Peaks, like, oh, this is weird for the sake of being weird. I don't get it, but I still understand what's going on. I think that's a fair way to look at it because you can view it very much as an isolated story of sort of 
this woman, you know, dealing with grief and trauma and sort of PTSD of losing all the people that she's loved without its sort of bigger implications into the larger comic book universe. Yeah, it clearly has more if you're aware. But, you know, they gave you enough about, like, Quicksilver that if you, you know, obviously when that door opens, if you know it, you're like, oh, my God. But if you don't, it's still like, wait, didn't she just say her brother's dead? And then you're like, wait, they recast him. Everything on the surface makes sense. And then later on, when you see the, the flashback, like, oh, it's a different person. It's a straight up different person. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they, they tie it in pretty well. So I'm, I'm pretty psyched to see where it goes. I, I almost don't want a second season because it inevitably will be different. Yeah. And I don't know that that I think this concept was so perfect and so different and such a vision, for lack of a better word, of what to do with this kind of story that I, I kind of want to see other stuff. Like, you know, it may, I, I wasn't like massively excited for WandaVision. I was a little more excited when I saw the sitcom idea. I was like, Ooh, this could be fun. But you know, this makes me more hopeful. Like Falcon and the Winter Soldier seems like a, you know, adventure series, which I mean, I don't know that I need a Marvel movie every week, but this gives me more hope that they're telling a story, you know, right. um, the the Loki series, like I think, will be similar to this, and that it'll be very weird, yeah, and 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 trippy, and like that's fine because honestly, I'm not a huge Loki fan. Like, we get it, you're a dick, like that's your vibe, but you're kind of not a villain, but you're also like that's his vibe. He's like he's a, he's, a, he's an asshole, um, but you know all the things they're developing, some of them seem sort of surface level, like armor wars and things like that, but you know they 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 found such a take for this that I'm like, all right, I I trust. This is much more ambitious than expected. And I think a lot of people early on, even just seeing the original art, you know, and I was one of them said, what are we getting here? Is this just going to be this kind of standalone, you know, the characters, let's just pimp them out and make some money. And it's not, it's such, it's so ingrained into the, the rest of the universe. And it adds more to it in a way that you never expected in a completely you know, unexpected way, which is just, uh, I, I always, uh, you know, I finish watching these things and I go, damn it. I would love to be in the room to hear how this came to be, how they came up with this concept and, you know, and the story behind it. Um, and then I'm looking forward to now to see what happens next. I'm a little disappointed with how much was covered this week because it makes me feel this will be a one and done. We're going to wrap up and that'll be the end of it. Um, and I would love to see another season, but I don't see where it, where it lives. But then again, they're creative geniuses. So maybe, mm-hmm. I mean, listen, I, I, I want more if it's good, but I'm also happy to, to let it, let it lay. Yeah. Same here. And, and, and just know that they, they did it. And, yeah. And we'll see what comes next. And, but. and the way they grow these characters and they're developing Wanda and she, when she shows up later on in films, it's going to be much easier to use her in meaningful ways than it was before because you, you had such limited exposure and you're, you're, you're doing a lot of setup. That's what's great about this series. And I think we'll be, we'll work for the, uh, you know, the upcoming series is it's going to really uh, expand on, on who they are and allow you to say, okay, when they pop up in, in the next, in Captain Marvel two, it's not just going to be a cameo. It's going to have you know more substance to it. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's a, there's an interesting aspect that you can also do now and that you can, so exact, exactly, Captain Marvel 2, we're going to have Photon in it almost 100%, you can tell now. But they don't have to detail that 
They got that out of the way. She yep. can just be Photon. Exactly. And, She's already done her origin story. Yeah, exactly. Which which I think is a phenomenal idea. Mm-hmm. Have your origin stories take place elsewhere. For the big movies where you're going to tell a two-hour story, a two to two-and-a-half-hour story, right? Anything you can cut out that's not going to be new or sort of on the original side, that's great. Like, listen, I think we all forget how delighted we were that they did not give us the Peter Parker origin again. Mm -hmm. That they were like, listen, we trust you to know how this happened. Well, it's like like a throwaway line of dialogue. Like, they're walking down the street. He's like, yeah, Spider bit me. It was pretty crazy. Like, they haven't mentioned Uncle Ben once. Like, no, I mean, Tony was Uncle Ben. This goes back to the comic books where before when they used to make films, they people a lot of people didn't know the origin. So they'd have to always put that in there. And you have 20 to 40 minutes of origin stories. Well, that now was Stan Lee. Every, yeah. every, com- every comic is someone's first comic. Yeah. Well, this I'm, no, I'm saying is when they become films. So now this is yeah. the like having the comic books and having that background where I'd usually turn to my comic book geek friend and I'd ask him, fill in the blanks for me. And now it's these characters are fleshed out. So you can expand on it without having to go and rely on that origin that we've seen over and over again. So. Oh, yeah. And I think this is going to be. This is going to be the way they do it from now on. I think you're going to get solo movies, but they might te- they might get origin stories on TV. Mm-hmm. Like you could yeah. get, you know, like like we have Miss Marvel as a series. Like there could easily be a Miss Marvel movie, or you know, a Young Avengers movie, or however they want to go about doing it. But they're going to generate them on on Disney Plus, and then once you have an association with the character, you can dive into a big monster, you know, Avengers type movie. And and that's where I think we got a lot of potential. Yeah. So well, and I think uh, too, sort of building off of that, it really is a great opportunity to flesh out those side characters that who have already appeared in movies but didn't really have as many opportunities to shine. Mm-hmm. Like you look at Infinity War, and it's like, oh, it's amazing. We're br- bringing all these characters from the universe together, but also like you look at people like Falcon or War Machine or whoever, and they're just kind of there in the background, not doing much and helping out in the action scenes. They don't feel like fully fleshed out characters because they've always been on the sidelines. So I mean, give them now an opportunity to lead their own story and really feel like fully fleshed out characters, especially you look at Falcon and Winter Soldier. That's one where, and I don't know where that story is going to go, but that one, I wouldn't be surprised if they did a second season just because I don't really see those characters having as much play in the movies going forward, especially when you look at they're doing like Eternals and they're doing Thor Love and Thunder and they're doing all these well, crazy things. I mean, it depends on if one of it having that. Yeah, it depends on if he's Captain America or not. Well, exactly. And that could be, you know, an ongoing thing. Um, well, that yeah, does like seem to be that seems to be. Logan. Yeah, yeah. That seems to be part of the, the story there is that the government doesn't want him to be, you know, he has the shield, but they want. Um, Right. Um, Wyatt Russell. What is he? Uh, uh, agent. U.S. agent. U.S. agent, which which I feel like is a villain, right? That's going to be a villain. Of sorts. Yeah. I mean, we already know Daniel Bruhl is coming back from Civil War as a, a much more comic accurate uh, Zemo. Yeah. Um, so he's probably going to be the main antagonist. But yeah, I can definitely see Wyatt Russell's character sort of, if not a straight up villain, at least being, you know, an obstacle to overcome. Yeah. I mean, I think it would be much more interesting if he's not Hydra. Because that yeah. seems that's a very on the nose like Can we okay be done yeah with Hydra we get it Hydra like well I mean Zemo Zemo's Hydra isn't he no oh he's his own, oh yeah you're right he's his own terrorist he's his own well he was uh, his family died in Sokovia and he wanted revenge over that I and mean I was like oh fuck I thought but, I destroyed the superhero team but now there's superheroes all over the place yeah well we'll see um, 
we'll see. More to come there. So next week we'll talk about the end of WandaVision and we'll see where that goes and you'll look for Miles' piece. Um, we're going to wrap up in a moment because we're going to come back. You'll hear part two seamlessly um, to talk about what happened at the Globes. We did our predictions last week with uh, Casey and Kendall just basically telling us Vanessa Kirby was going to win every category. Um, but in the meantime, you've all been very good. So you guys get the return of Sugar and Spicy. Miles was on set. So you have any, uh, as we gear up, do you have any stories from set you can regale us with? Yeah. So uh, I have uh, good news and bad news about that. Uh, the good news is that Sugar and Spicy is going to remain an awards radar exclusive for the time being. Uh, the bad news being because the set experience was a disaster. Um, we initially had a deal to, you know, get uh, sort of a primetime, um, you know, streaming deal with Paramount Plus. But then they realized that they could get early access to things like Mission Impossible 7 and A Quiet Place 2. And suddenly our, you know, little sex pest food puppet comedy, you know, <laughs> pun intended, felt like small potatoes. So they started, you know, trying to, you know, wrestle away creative control. And, uh, you know, they're like, well, maybe the main food item doesn't need to be a Hollywood sex pest, which is obviously the whole concept. So at a certain point, we decided to take our, you know, ridiculous uh, puppet comedy and, you know, with what dignity we had left. So we're going to we're going to keep it here at home for you lucky listeners for now. All right. Excellent. So. Without further ado, we have episode three, which uh, continues the the plot of of sugar and spicy. So, are we uh, no. are we ready? But let's go anyways. Yep. All right, all right, cool. So, sugar and spicy, episode three, pitching and bitching, written after a long needed vacation by Miles Hughes. Previously on sugar and spicy. Hollywood screenwriter and dashing man about town. Who wrote this? Uh, Miles Hughes was just trying to live his life and make dinner for his girlfriend. But his next-door neighbor and infamous sex pest, Kevin Spicy, had other plans. One little favor turned into a massive obligation as Miles has now found himself writing an alternate ending to Kevin's time on House of Chards. But before they can film his new dramatic death scene, they need to get approval from the man in charge. We open... In a corporate office. Miles and Kevin sit across the desk from a sentient Fig Newton with the face of David Fincher. Kevin, who himself is a sentient chili pepper with the face of Kevin Spacey, and the voice of Nicolas Cage, treats this as normal. Miles, who is human but is somehow trapped in this bizarre Hollywood food-based puppet dimension, has no choice. Thanks for taking this meeting with us, Mr. Figture. We really appreciate it. Of course, Miles. It's the least I can do after you helped me get out of recording that director's commentary for Alien 3 on the last series box set. How'd you do that, anyway? Well, Ridley Scone was bitterly disappointed at first, but I managed to convince him that he really didn't need to consider the third film canon as he developed his sequel, Promethea Upcake. Promethea Upcake? That doesn't make any sense. Neither did the movie. <laughs> Hiya, David. It's been a while. David turns to look at Kevin as though he just insulted his mother. Not long enough, Mr. Spicy. I'm only doing this as a favor to Miles, so let's get on with it. I've still got to put my finishing touches on manky brains. Miles turns to look at the camera. 
Monkey brains were historically part of the Manchu Han imperial banquet of the Qing Empire during the 17th century, according to Wikipedia. Therefore, it technically counts as a food pun. Get off my back! It turns out Kevin has perched himself on Miles' back. He gets down and sits back in his chair. That was weird. Yeah, I'm not sure why I did that. <laughs> All right, gentlemen. Contrive that a humorous side. My time is valuable. Shall we? Miles pulls out a short script and starts to read from it. Kevin gets up and acts out the scene as he reads it. Our hero, Francis Undercooked, makes his way through the crowd of his final political event. He knows his career is finished. Suddenly, a gunshot is heard. Francis is hit in the chest and collapses to the ground. The crowd panics and flees, while various bodyguards spread out, looking for the sniper. Kevin dutifully acts like he's been shot and collapses to the ground. Eclair! Eclair! Where's Eclair? Where's my wife? Audience laughs. Francis's wife, Eclair Undercooked, played by Raman Wright in A Coat of Frosting, rushes to his side. She has no words, which is definitely a reflection of her emotional state, and not at all a request from her co-star. My love, I know I haven't always treated you right. I know that so often you were a pawn in my endless grab for power. I know that, historically, so many political wives are treated that way by their husbands, and that's something we need to do better as a society, you know? Equality for women, that's what I'm about. But I want you to know that I've always loved you, and I always will. And also, if you hear any allegations about me having affairs with underage boys, you should definitely just go ahead and not believe them. Goodbye, my darling. Kevin lets out a death rattle and dies. But then he gets up, still alive, because life is unfair that way. Miles tugs at his shirt collar, clearly embarrassed. Kevin has a big, excited grin. Well, that's interesting. Miles here laid the groundwork and set the scene, but then I came in to punch up the speech, put my own voice into it a little, you know? I'd never have guessed. <laughs> so what do you think? Can we use it? David strokes his beard thoughtfully. A few crumbs fall out, which makes sense because, again, he's a fig newton. Hmm. I'm not sure. I think I need to see another take. Excuse me? Yeah, just to make sure I'm seeing the best possible version of it, let's take it back to when you get shot. You got it. And action. Spicy mimes being shot and collapsed to the ground again. Eclair! Eclair! Where's... Cut. Reset. But I didn't even get into it. I know, but I want you to really nail the impact of you being gunned down. Make sure you really feel it. Then, hit the ground hard. Oh, okay. Miles looks at the camera again. I see where this is going. Reset and action. Five hours and 72 takes later, Kevin is on the ground in a pool of sweat, gasping and panting and struggling to get his words out. And I just want you to know that I'll always love you and the, the thing about the kids. Goodbye. He dies in character. After a pause, David starts to clap. Miles, who had fallen asleep in his chair, wakes up with a start and claps too, though he's not entirely sure what for. All right, great job, everyone. I think we've got it. Kevin pulls himself up, looking relieved. 
Awesome. So that means you'll do it for real? Absolutely not. <laughs> Kevin looks stunned. But, but why? Oh, I was never going to say yes to it. Even if it weren't self-aggrandizing nonsense, which it is. You're on the Blackberry list. Nobody in Hollywood is going to want to work with you. Except for Paul Shredded Cheese, maybe. But he's got his own issues. But then, why did you make me go through it so many times? What can I say? I love getting multiple takes of things. Now, if you'll excuse me, I've got my kids play to micromanage. They're going to nail that opening number no matter how long the audience has to sit there. But, David, we have so much history. We made seven herbs and spices together. Sorry, Spicy, but that's what happens when you abuse your power and also get caught. As for Miles, you may want to stop doing him favors. It's not good for your career to be associated with this guy. I love you, but you're too sweet for your own good. That's why they call me Sugar. Tune in next time for more adventures from Sugar and Spicy. Brought to you by your friends at Awards Radar. We are going to take pause here, come back after the Globes, and you will hear our uh, thoughts on what went down, presumably what was awful about it, the few things that were, were great, and what we can do now that Jared Leto has another Golden Globe Award. Don't fucking jinx it. Can everybody please knock on wood? <laughs> I, I, I feel like the more I talk about it, the less likely it gets, so that's good. I feel like if you say it's not going to happen, then there's that weird possibility where it's going to happen. Maybe. Listen, we're, I mean, I really should just lie and be like, so we're coming to you now. We have uh, the father one drama, music one comedy, Leto, Kate Hudson, all all Golden Globe winners. Nothing makes sense anymore. The world is a lie. Exactly. Um, no, no, I, I think we will. Uh, I mean, we'll see how we feel. But, you know, going by my predictions, I ironically think that the film that will lead the wins is going to be Borat, which I can see. Bad. it. Yep. I think we're going to get a, a the love spread out, though. Definitely, there could be something that gets anointed. In that case, one thinks it would be Trial of Chicago 7. But who is to say? I'm hopeful for some anointing. I mean, not saying where, but the irony is when you guys listen, we're going to be moments away from knowing. So, yeah, right now I know nothing. Yeah. And when we come back, we'll have known. So after after the snap. Yeah, exactly. Uh, All right. Well, so here's here's my hit prediction. Are you ready? All right. At midnight tonight, it will be March. Even though people are going to be listening on March uh, 3rd. We're, re- we're recording on Sunday, I realize yes. now. <laughs> that may not have translated. <laughs> no, no. We're recording on Sunday. People are going to be listening on Thursday, March 4th. So. If you're listening to this right now, it's already March. So my prediction came true. Hmm. Nostra dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> and what a note to take a pause on. We will be back after the Globes. So stay tuned for part two uh, right now. We'll see you then. We'll see you now.